Beloved, the challenge that we face every Christmas is this. Do we get caught up in all the stuff, the silver bells, Christmas time in the city, or do we focus on the truth that God has entered this world for our redemption? That's the message that we need to share. Well, does that have you in the Christmas mood? I hope so. I'm going to scoot this up here just a minute. That way I can see everybody in the back. <laughs> I'd invite you to open your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 1. Another Christmas season is here. Now, I'm not going to sing this song, but I am going to read the words. It's a song that I'm sure you have already heard on the radio, or if you haven't yet, you probably soon will if you listen to one of those Christmas stations that start sometime before Thanksgiving and end sometime after the first of the year. It goes like this, Christmas makes you feel emotional. It may bring parties or thoughts devotional. Whatever happens or what may be, here is what Christmas time means to me. City sidewalks, busy sidewalks, dressed in holiday style. In the air, there's a feeling of Christmas. Children laughing, people passing, meeting smile after smile. And above all this bustle, you hear silver bells, silver bells. It's Christmas time in the city. Ring-a-ling, hear them ring. Soon it will be Christmas Day. That was written, Silver Bells, by Jay Livingston and Ray Evans. It was first recorded by Bing Crosby and uh, Carol Richards in September of 1950. So if you were born before 1950, you may remember a time when that song wasn't around, but if you were born after 1950, that's probably been a part of your Christmas music experience for your whole life because it's been around for, well, 70-some years. It's one of the most, Christmas, I should say, is one of the most widely recognized holidays around the world, even in places where the holiday is not necessarily celebrated, it is still recognized, uh, it's still understood that there's a group of people who consider December the 25th to be a holiday. Do you ever think about the word holiday? The word holiday is a kind of a condensed or shortened up form for the word or phrase holy days. Holy days. So I always get amused when we can't have a Christmas concert but we can have a holiday concert that we're actually having a holy days concert. But we haven't figured that out yet. Holy days or holidays uh, are declared or set aside for a variety of reasons. There may be some solemn holy days. We read about many of those in the Scriptures. We have some solemn sort of holy days that are set aside to, for a special purpose even in our own nation's history. Uh, December 7th is one of those sort of special days. We considered it for 
the longest time up until 9-11 of 2011 or 2001 to be sort of our national day of, of loss and mourning because it was on that day that our nation was attacked by the Imperial Japanese forces in World War II for us in this nation began. It actually began in 1939 over in Europe when Hitler invaded uh, uh, Czechoslovakia or um, Poland, 1939. But it was a, a solemn day, a day that was set aside for remembrance. Passover in the Old Testament was a holy day. It was a day set aside specifically to remember God's act in dealing with the deliverance of Israel from Egyptian bondage. Sometimes those holidays or holy days are festive ones. Maybe they're um, set aside as a day of rejoicing or a day of giving thanks. We just had one of those days, didn't we? This past, have you recovered from all that turkey? Hopefully the tryptophan has worn off and you won't fall asleep this morning. Uh, we commemorate events or victories, etc., with these kinds of special, solemn, holy, festive days. The celebration of Christmas as a holiday has a rather long and occasionally a checkered past. Let me just give you a little bit of information here about Christmas as a, as a celebration. It was not celebrated in the church at all for the first 300 years of the church's existence. What was the big holiday in the church? The big holy day? It was Resurrection Sunday. That was the most important day. That was the day that the church celebrated and realized the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead was the thing that made everything different. And so for the first 300 years of the history of the church, Christmas wasn't really observed at all. In A.D. 336, though, we have the first recorded instance of Christmas or the 25th of December being observed as a holiday by the church in Rome. And you can understand why that didn't happen until 336 because it wasn't until 313 that the Christian church was considered to be a legitimate organization and was no longer officially persecuted by Rome, the, the Roman Empire. Constantine had apparently become a believer and so the uh, the church, the Christian church, now became a favored part of the Roman Empire. And it was there, that church in Rome, in the, in the city of, of Rome, that first celebrated December 25th as the day of Christ's birth. In reality, we have no idea firmly, exactly, when, what, day Jesus was born it was probably in the springtime why because the shepherds were out in the fields overnight they were not out in the fields overnight during the winter 
And they were in and around Bethlehem, which was where the lambs were raised that were used for slaughter at the sacrifice there in Jerusalem at the temple. And of course, it was a Passover lamb that was uh, to be a year old, about a year old, and was sacrificed each Passover, which occurs when? In the spring, as a commemoration of God's delivering His people from Egypt. So it's highly possible, I think probable, that Jesus was actually born sometime in March, sometime in the early spring there in Bethlehem. That part's recorded for us, isn't it? Why December 25th? Well, there in Rome, there was a winter festival, a solstice festival known as Saturnalia that was celebrated and it encompassed December the 25th and it ran for a number of days after that. And so what the church in Rome did was exactly what Emperor Constantine did when he became converted to Christianity. He just declared the whole thing Christian. And so they just simply declared the whole thing to be Christian and this is when we're going to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't have a problem celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ on December 25th. I like to celebrate my birthday. I happen to know exactly when that was. It was October the 23rd. So I can celebrate every October the 23rd. I know without a doubt that Jesus came into this world as a human being. I know without a doubt that there was a birthday. But since the birthday was not the most important or the most critical event in the church's history, I can celebrate it on the 25th. Or I could do it like my Orthodox friends who do it on January the 6th. That's okay. But the point is, we are celebrating by common consent the birth, the entrance of our Savior into this world on December the 25th. And so, it's a holy day. It's a holiday for us. Now, it was because it was so associated with uh, the Roman festival, festival of Saturnalia, which was, according to historians, one of the most anticipated weeks on the Roman calendar, the Romans sort of set the pattern for us there. They would take the entire week off from work, and apparently this extended even to the slaves, and they would decorate their homes with pine wreaths and festive lights and They'd go to raucous parties and feasts, according to one historical source. They'd exchange gifts and offerings. Why? Well, because they were celebrating the, uh, the equinox there. They were celebrating, or not the equinox, but the, um, what's the other one? Hmm. Solstice, thank you, yes. The, the, sol the winter solstice. That's the point where the sun, because of the rotation of the earth and the, all that stuff, it's at its lowest point in the sky. The day is the shortest that it is. The night is as long as it gets in the course of a year. And from that moment forward now, the sun begins because the earth is moving around and the North Pole is starting to point toward the sun rather than away from the sun, that the day gets longer and the sun appears higher in the sky. That's why at noon on the middle of the summer, the sun is right straight above us and at noon on uh, December the 21st usually is the equinox or the uh, solstice 
it's as low in the sky as it gets. So they were celebrating the, the return of the sun. In Scandinavia, they had an interesting experience or an interesting custom. They would get this gigantic log, and they called it the Yule log, Y-U-L-E, Yule log. And they would bring it in, and they would put it in the fire, and they would start to burn that log, and it would burn for days, as many as 10 or 12 days. And as long as the Yule log was burning, they celebrated well, what were they celebrating? They were celebrating the return of the sun, the return of spring, the coming of the, the new life in the world. And of course, they used all kinds of evergreens to help celebrate that, and gift-giving and feasts and all kinds of things. In Germany, and uh, a lot of our customs come from Europe, from Germany and England and other places, they were honoring about that same time of year the Germanic god Odin. He was a part of uh, Germanic mythology and he was the fellow that would ride around on that particular night of the solstice and he would decide who was going to prosper and who was going to experience tragedy, who was going to die and who was going to live in the coming year. And so they would set out gifts for him, maybe cookies or something like that, milk, I don't know, but they would set out gifts to try to appease him. They would stay inside because to be seen by him was not considered a fortuitous thing that would make you his target and he might decree that you would die in the coming year and you wanted to avoid that so you, you stayed inside. Traditions became blended significantly across national boundaries during those years. In 1645, Oliver Cromwell came to power in England as the Prime Minister, and the Puritans, who were part of his political and influential uh, machine back in that day, also came to power, and they got rid of Christmas in England altogether, at least for a while. It just fell out of favor, and uh, they were trying to return the nation to its founding roots, its uh, Christian roots, or back to the Bible kind of an approach. And so they just got rid of Christmas because it had become such an incredibly pagan holiday. And whatever remembrance of the birth of Christ there was, was so small that they felt just throw the whole thing out and be done with it. Focus on the resurrection. From 1659 to 1681, <laughs> I'm not sure how they went about this, in the city of Boston, anyone who exhibited Christmas spirit was fined five shillings. Right here in these grand United States of America. Of course, they weren't the United States back in the 1600s, were they? I don't know how, but, but they didn't want Christmas. They didn't, weren't interested in it because it had become so associated with um, drunkenness and revelry and all kinds of pagan ritual that it wasn't looked upon very well. And of course, after the American Revolution, 
Christmas kind of fell out of favor because it was seen more as a British holiday. But that began to change. The attitudes toward Christmas began to change in the 1800s. People began to think of Christmas in a little bit more biblical way, and they attached to that the idea of a family holiday, that it was good for families to get together and to enjoy some time and, uh, and remember the birth of Christ. But it was also sort of a mixed bag because some of the old customs were revived. So from the 1800s to the 1900s, during that 100-year period, new traditions were added. Many of them were secular, including Christmas trees, sending holiday cards, decorating one's home with pine, holly, and mistletoe. And, of course, the merchants got in there and encouraged lots of gift-giving. Uh, and you remember that was during the Industrial Revolution. Uh, manufacturing was, was growing. It was coming into its own. And so gifts could be much more easily obtained and more cheaply obtained. And so the, the manufacturers wanted to promote that. Three stories in the 1800s profoundly impacted Christmas. The first one in 1819 was written by the well-known author Washington Irving. It was called The Sketchbook of Jeffrey Crayon. Anybody ever read that? Me neither. But, according to the historians who were writing about it, it was a series of stories about the celebration of Christmas in an English manor house where the squire, the guy who owned it and lived there, would invite all of the peasants into his home for the Christmas holiday. Now Irving believed that Christmas should be a peaceful, warm-hearted holiday bringing groups together across all kinds of different social and economic lines. He got that idea from Scripture, but extended it out into a more secular kind of approach. So that story had a, a pretty big impact on people, especially in this country. 1823, Clement Moore wrote a poem called A Visit from St. Nicholas. You know it as the night before Christmas. When all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. And that story, that little poem, tremendously shaped the nostalgic look at Christmas that has become so ingrained in American culture. And there was one more. In 1843, a fellow named Charles Dickens, perplexed and disgusted by what was happening in England, and particularly for children in those days, wrote a poem, or not a poem, but a short story called A Christmas Carol. And in that, he exposed a lot of the seamy sides of London's life and the, the, the problem with child labor and all those kinds of things. But that whole story, couched in the ghost of Christmas past, present, and future, really had an impact on how Christmas was looked at not only in this country, but in Europe, because he was British, and, and uh, not only in, in this country, but in Europe as well. And it's, so it's from all of that 
that when we get to the 1900s, the modern concept of Christmas has become so much ingrained in our thinking. Now there was a fellow, he was um, named Nicholas. He lived sometime around 280 A.D. in modern Turkey in a little town there called Myra. Oh, I have a ladybug crawling on my Bible here. See if we can get rid of the ladybug. Um, who was well known in his own community for charitable deeds. In fact, one of the stories is told that he rescued three young girls from a disastrous life of probably being sold into prostitution because her father was so poor he could not pay any kind of a dowry for the girls to be married. So Nicholas took his own resources and on three successive nights threw a little bag of gold in the window and it happened to land in a stocking that was hanging there uh, just because it was hanging there. And so those gifts in the stocking enabled the father to offer a dowry for the marriage of his daughters. And they were saved from what would have been a horrible and tragic life. And there are lots of other little stories of beneficence that go with Nicholas's story. And guess what? He later became bishop in that town, and later on the Catholic Church canonized him and made him a saint. And so the idea of St. Nicholas was born. The idea of gift-giving came into prominence, uh, not only by the American merchants, but also by the history of this one particular individual. Mix all that together, and we have our modern Christmas. But why do we really celebrate? Is it just because we're, we're looking for some artificial light? We're looking for some artificial hope? We're looking to, to feel good in our families and have a warm feeling for a day? Is that the reason we celebrate Christmas? No. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1 and join me in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly, but while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. We celebrate Christmas because this is the event in which God entered into humanity. Mary was a young girl there, a Jewish girl, living in Nazareth at the time. Her family lineage, as well as the family lineage of her betrothed husband, now that's a little different than our society. We get engaged here, uh, and yet you're still not considered 
husband and wife. There's no legal binding agreement in an engagement. Uh, she can just simply take the ring off and give it back and we're all done, you know. That's the end of the story. Wasn't so with the betrothal. That was a more of a, of a legal intention to marry. And so in, in one instance they were considered to be legally bound even though they were not formally married and able to cohabit as husband and wife. So it was in that betrothal period where Mary, a virtuous girl, suddenly is pregnant. And you can imagine what Joseph might have thought. But God intervened and told Joseph, go ahead and take her. She hasn't been unfaithful. The child that she carries is of the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit of God who in miraculous demonstration of power, just like at creation, caused Mary to be pregnant without any human physical intervention whatsoever. Suddenly, she was expecting a child. It's a miracle. And through that process, through that miracle, Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, took on human form, took on a human nature, and came into this world to live a human life. To be tempted in all points as we are, and yet without sin. He came to experience life with us. And His name is significant. It was given to Him by the angel. You shall call His name Jesus. Yeshua in Hebrew. It comes from the Hebrew verb yasha, which means to save. And so His name means God saves. Now we don't use that name very often in English, do we? Jesus. I mean, how many of us know somebody named Jesus? Well, not too many. But if you're in a Hispanic culture, Spanish culture, you probably know a lot of guys named Jesus, which is the Spanish version of the Hebrew word Yeshua. Why are they named that? Well, why do we name so many little girls Mary? It's to honor those who are a part of this story. It's a connection with the truth. Even though our world has taken the birth of Christ and swirled into it, mixed into it, all kinds of false and deceptive concepts and ideas, a little glimmer of truth still comes through. And so here, His name is Jesus. Why? Because He will save His people from their sins. The reason Jesus came into this world was to save sinners. Look with me at John chapter 1. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. Beginning in verse 1, John gives us the eternal perspective. He says, in the beginning was the Word. We should think Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This Word is a title. 
and it is given to the second person of the Trinity, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Word. Words communicate, don't they? I'm using words now. And when I can remember a word, I can communicate a thought. And when I can't remember the word, then you have to help me. And thank you for the solstice there. But words communicate. Jesus is God's ultimate communication of Himself, because Jesus is God, to mankind. How would we ever know anything about God? Well, we wouldn't. And all of humanity is the testimony to that truth. Because human beings go out and they look up in the night sky and they fall down and they worship the moon. Or they worship the stars. They worship uh, astrology, you know. I hope none of you do that. Take those horoscopes and throw them in the trash where they belong. They do not run your life. Your star charts do not influence your life. That's a bunch of trash. Put it in the trash. But that's what natural man does. They go out and they, they worship the creature rather than the Creator. Here, the Creator, the Word, takes on human form and comes into this world. Verse 2 says, He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus said of Himself that He was the way, the truth, and the life. He is the one who coming into the world illuminates the understanding of all people. He turns on the light for those who are willing to see the light because He is the light of the world. John goes on and talks a little bit more about another fellow named John. This was a, a prophet named John. He says there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. He was the true light, or that was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. John, the Baptist, we call him, because of the unique part of his ministry where he baptizes people in, in repentance of their sins, John was the one who pointed to Jesus and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John was a witness. He testified to who Jesus was. Jesus was the light of the world. Jesus is the Lamb of God. Jesus is the one who is focused on because He is the one who will save His people from their sins. The Apostle John goes on and says in verse 11, He came to His own and His own did not receive Him. He came to the Jewish people, God's chosen people, the ones who had been promised a future Messiah. The Messiah came. And they didn't believe Him. They rejected Him. They put Him to death. But, verse 12, you ought to circle that word. It's a good word. But, as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in His name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Jesus Christ came into this world, and all who turned to Him, He gave them the power, the right to become children of God. 
And, and it was a birth that was supernatural. It did not follow the normal, ordinary human means of birth. You can't get into heaven just because your mom and dad were Christians. You can't get into heaven just because your great-great-great-great-grandfather was a pastor. That's not how it works. You, yourself, have to be born of God, and it is a work of the Holy Spirit who energizes our hearts and our minds and who opens our hearts and our minds that we might see who Jesus is and respond to Him properly in faith, believing Him. John goes on in verse 14. He says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We saw God in Jesus. When you read the pages of the Gospel, when you read the pages of the Bible, you are seeing God in action. Giving testimony of His existence. Giving testimony of His desire that men and women and children should come to Him. When you read about Jesus in the Gospel, you see God in action. Reaching out to those who are lost. Coming to seek and to save them. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. That God has come to this world, that He has entered into our position, He has shared in our plight, and, and He is saving all of those who will turn to Him in faith, believing that He is exactly who He claims to be. Verse 15, John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received grace for grace. The law was given through Moses. Now the law was important. Not only those Ten Commandments, but all 613 laws of the Old Testament were extremely important. Because they showed us how far we had fallen from the holiness of Almighty God. The law was important. It told us where the boundaries were. It told us that we crossed the boundaries. It told us that we were defiled in our very beings, in our very souls, and that we were not acceptable in God's sight. And the law also provided for us an indication that God Himself would satisfy the requirements of the law. Grace and truth, the next verse says, came through Jesus Christ. When Jesus entered into this world, He brought with Him grace and truth. He was the Lamb of God who satisfied all the requirements of the sacrificial system in the Old Testament that God instituted because we were lawbreakers. Jesus Christ Himself fulfilled the law perfectly, sinlessly, at every moment in His life. And so when He laid down His life as the Lamb of God, He was truly able to take away the sin of the world. All those who put their trust in Him, and only those who put their trust in Him, are forgiven, redeemed, saved. 
It's an invitation that's open to all. It's an invitation that's open to the whole world. But not everybody listens. Not everybody accepts that invitation. You know, you can turn invitations down, can't you? Maybe you'll get some invitations this Christmas for different parties or activities, and maybe some of them will even fall on the same day and you have to make a choice, and, and you accept one and you have to turn down the other. Invitations can be turned down, and people can walk away from God, but to their own eternal destruction. Verse 18 says that no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. We celebrate Christmas on December 25th because God came to this world. Because God wanted us to know about Himself. Because God chose to redeem fallen humanity. We give gifts. Why? Because Jesus has given us the most incredible gift. The gift of Himself. The gift of eternal life. The gifts that we give should be given out of a heart filled with love for God. Not out of a heart that feels the lusts and desires of this world, and I want more, 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 give me, give me, give me. They shouldn't be given begrudgingly. They should be given freely, just as God the Father gave His Son freely to you and to me. Beloved, the challenge that we face every Christmas is this. Do we get caught up in all the stuff, the silver bells, Christmas time in the city, all the busy sidewalks? Do we get caught up with the chestnuts roasting on the open fire and Jack Frost nipping at your nose? Do we get caught up with Rudolph and all those other things? Or do we focus on the truth that God has entered this world for our redemption? That's the message that we need to share. And that's the message that this world needs to hear. This world is lost. They are looking for hope. They are looking for joy. Washington Irving said that, you know, Christmas ought to be a time of family and peace and joy and feeling good and comfort. That's what the world's looking for. But they're looking for it in the wrong place. Because it's not in a place. It's in a person. So this Christmas, as we prepare... May we hold up the person of Jesus Christ. As we talk to people about Christmas this year, let's make sure that we mention the reason for Christmas so that we might know Jesus Christ and through Him know the Father. Jesus said it beautifully and perfectly in John chapter 17, verse 3 in His great high priestly prayer that he prayed just before he went to the cross, he said this, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That, beloved, 
is why we celebrate Christmas. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank You so much for Your Word because it tells us the truth. Father, help us sort through all the stuff and not become enamored or distracted with the secular view of a winter holiday. But Father, help us to stay focused that we are celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ, His entrance into this world, that the eternal Son left His place in heaven and came to share our condition and to give Himself as the ransom for our souls. Father, thank You for such an incredible gift. Thank You for such an incredible season of the year when we can remember these truths. Thank You for the resurrection that was the demonstration that Your Son's sacrifice was acceptable on our behalf and that He rules and reigns with You now in glory. Father, glorify Yourself in our lives this Christmas. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.